Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're broadcasting from the top of the Haven Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is Forward Radio, WFMP-LP Louisville, and you can listen to us on 106.5 FM on your radio dial. Now, if you can go to forwardradio.org, you can find out more about our station, and uh, all of our shows are archived up there through uh, SoundCloud. Again, uh, you're listening to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're uh, uh, lucky uh, to have Michael T. with us today. Michael T. is a, uh, is a uh, writer, uh, scholar, actor, playwright, uh, activist, uh, and welcome to our show, Michael. What's happening? So today's topic, we're going to talk about the late filmmaker Melvin Van Peebles. Uh, Melvin Van Peebles was born in Chicago, Illinois in 1932, and he passed away Tuesday, September 21st, 2021. Uh, Sort of best known for his classic independent films, Watermelon Man in 1970 and Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song in 1971. Uh, And then... uh, 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 I mean, earlier than that, uh, in Europe, uh, uh, he uh, did uh, Cinque Saint Ballets and the story of a three-day pass. Uh, and these are some of the films that he did in Europe. Uh, and so uh, uh, Van Peebles was the son of a tailor and a homemaker. After graduating high school, he enrolled in West Virginia State University before transferring to Ohio Wesleyan. Uh, He joined the Air Force and began writing. Uh, In 1956, that is 1956, he married German actress and photographer Maria Marx, who appeared with him in his iconic film, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. And he's also the the father of actor-director Mario Van Peebles. So, uh, Michael, what's your take on the legacy of Melvin Van Peebles? I see Melvin Van Peebles as a true renaissance person. One of the great black artists of our time. I mean, the guy was... uh, very independent-minded, very creative, and I think he did most of his work with uh, a firm eye and ear to the Black Liberation Movement. So, um, folks, just as far as factual information here, what I'm doing is uh, uh, reading from uh, an article in the Louisville Defender, which is the black newspaper here in Louisville, Kentucky. And this article was written by uh, Nasinga K. Burton, Ph.D. Uh, And so it says, in 1970, Van Peebles made his first Hollywood film entitled Watermelon Man, starring Godfrey Cambridge. Released by Columbia Pictures, the film told the story of a racist white man who one day wakes up black and the fallout from his family, friends, and place of of employment because of it, right? In interviews, Melvin Van Peebles said it was the experience of making Watermelon Man within the Hollywood film system 
that convinced him to work as an independent filmmaker so he could have complete control over his films. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting note about that, too. Um, in the making of Waterfellas Band, the white producers wanted him to change the ending. Uh, you remember seeing the movie, right? Uh, go ahead and let, let the audience know. Because they need to... Uh, it says it rather know. Go ahead. The movie ends with um, the white man who has you know, awakened one morning and found out that he was black. You know, he finds out, you know, just what being black means um, in this culture. Uh, and at the end of the movie, he becomes a black revolutionary. Uh, Melvin Van Peebles said the, the producers wanted him to take that out and have the um, white man turn black, turn back white again. And he refused to do it. And as you said, you know, that struggle... Uh, led him to think that, hey, I need to produce my own films. And he used the money that he made from that film, which was fairly successful, and money he had before, to go his own way. Um, it was sort of a blessing and a curse because, uh, you know, uh, after Sweet Sweetback, uh, they pretty much ignored him, but um, he continued on and did, unlike so many uh, black artists uh, managed to attain a certain amount of real success. So, so after Watermelon Man, uh, uh, he did Sweet Sweet Back, right? And uh, a film that explored themes of black power and liberation. This is according to the Louisville Defender article by yes. uh, uh, Nasinga K. Burton, Ph.D. The author raised $500,000 from investments by supporters, including Bill Cosby. I mean, he credits Bill Cosby with, uh, with, with helping getting a sweet pack made. He did. That's, that's what I heard, too. You know, because, you know, at, at that time, you know, in the late 60s, early 70s, you know, they were giving a lot of black filmmakers too much support, even though he had just completed Watermelon Man, you know, and I mentioned, you know, the contradictions he had there, but, uh, you know, um, Peebles was a smart business person, you know, he didn't waste his money, you know, he, he was able to, you know, do his own um, independent stuff, and uh, when he did Sweet Sweetback, which he, <laughs> strangely enough, uh, promoted it as a porno film, which allowed him to, you know, pay the participants a cheaper rate, you know, and his budget wasn't as high as it could have been. And you know, the movie still made, you know, quite a lot of money, I think like ten million dollars, which was a lot for a black film, black produced film at that time. And um and he did it on his own terms. I mean, he wrote the, the movie, he directed it, he starred in it, even his son was in it. Right, so the film featured a soundtrack by Earth, Wind, and Fire, a then up-and-coming jazz and R&B band, and offered a gritty, unapologetic look into black America's underground economy. The film highlighted the story of a wrongfully accused black man's journey from sideshow to revolution. Exactly. It showed that the, the radicalization of what we would call a London proletarian guy, I mean, this guy was like, you know, straight, you know, underground, that guy, you know, like a lot of people we have in our community, 
but in his confrontations with the police, how current is this? In 1970, he becomes radicalized when he sees the police, you know, brutalizing uh, uh, a brother in the struggle. And, uh, you know, he kills the police and then he's on the run. Beats don't fail me now. <laughs> and so, uh, going back to the article, much like black film pioneer Oscar Michaud, Van Peebles' films were celebrated and condemned for exploring controversial topics and for what some critics call technical issues. Using a distribution technique like Michaud, Van Peebles rented out theaters in black cities and showed his films to sold-out audiences, keeping all the profits. So, yes, I, I remember being in one of those audiences in Philly and, uh, as a young person. And uh, seeing that film, I mean, the black community was very impressed with it. And so this distribution technique practiced by Michaud and Van Peebles is now referred to as four-walling, a term coined in 1965. Through this distribution model, Van Peebles earned, as you said, $10 million at the box office and Hollywood noticed. Uh... Film companies like United Artists, which was on the brink of economic collapse at the time, appropriated the narrative and stylistic elements of his films, giving birth to what would be called the exploitation era of filmmaking. exploitation films were cheaply made, featured black cast, R&B soul soundtracks, highlighted black fashion and culture, and uh, the genre turned fashion models Richard Roundtree into Mara Dobson and aspiring actress Pam Greer into bona fide movie stars. Known as the godfather of black cinema, uh, Van Peebles was a man of many talents. Right. Uh, let's see, Van Peebles continued writing and directing film. He appeared as an actor in 44 films, and TV shows including Boomerang, Living Single, Panther, Girlfriends, and Peoples. He also continued writing and performing songs, releasing six solo albums over the years. Yeah. So, I remember hearing a lot of his, uh, his albums. Um, uh, he, uh, he had a show series of, of, of albums where he's pretty much reciting... Um, singing and reciting poetry, uh, original stuff. Um, uh, he did a number of successful plays on Broadway, was nominated for several uh, Tony Awards. I don't know if he ever won, but he did a play uh, I saw called Don't Play Us Cheap, which was, uh, you know, uh, a great critical acclaim. Um, he even uh, did another play, uh, which a lot of us in the movement uh, uh, really like called Ain't Supposed to Die. Uh, take it from a, um, uh, uh, a uh, phrase by Huey P. Newton called, uh, which said that a revolutionary ain't supposed to die a natural death. There people did a play on that uh, called Ain't Supposed to Die, which is really great. I think he made it into a movie, too. I think Don't Play Us Cheap even became a a movie, but I saw the the plays. Uh, but uh, you know, he also uh, collaborated with his son, 
movie um, uh, Black Panther in the 90s. He uh, collaborated with his son also on Posse uh, about the Black Cowboys. I mean, he never he never gave up. Another thing that's interesting about Bad Bad Peoples is that they say at some point, I think after his Broadway runs, he became a stock trader on Wall Street. To get some extra money, and he was pretty good at it, and he parlayed that into more of his uh, of his work. Uh, he was always, you know, coming up with uh, creative ways to to make money and to you know maintain his independence, so he didn't have to depend, you know, on the Hollywood establishment. And so, just for folks, uh, so they know. Uh the Criterion Collection is going to release a retrospective box set of Van Peebles' work. And so Criterion is like a, a company. Uh, well, they take a lot of movies that have been out there for a while and sort of compile them. Uh, so if people are interested. Uh, and you might be able to find, uh, uh, go to some of these uh, stores at... Uh, uh, locally, uh, that uh, uh, that that sell, buy, and trade, uh, use CDs and DVDs, and find some of his stuff out there. Uh, but it's probably well worth seeing just to understand sort of the history of of blacks in the movies uh, and how how innovative. Sweet Sweetback. Now, Miller Van People wrote the score for Sweet Sweetback. And I remember the interview him saying he didn't even read music. He just uh, he knew what sound he wanted to hear. He had a piano. He just numbered all the keys and uh, created the score. You know, uh, using that system, got a musician to you know translate it into uh, musical notes. Now, to me, that's determination. That determination that shows how you could overcome obstacles. You didn't have to read music to um, score his own movies. Well, like I said the man is regarded as a as a genius in Europe, and that was before he was able able to have any success here in the United States. Yeah, he wrote a number of books too while he was in Europe, um, and of course he got married. Uh, his third wife was a German woman. Um, and then I think he married uh, a Mexican woman. I think that's where Mario was born. And he lived in these places. Um, and apparently, you know, he had a couple of other kids. And, uh, you know, at some point he moved back to America. But uh, he's quite an interesting subject, uh, you know, in just sheer tenacity, uh, determination to utilize every opportunity he could to get his work out there. And to me, that's the real essential message and legacy of the damn peoples, you know, that, uh, hey, there's no formula for this thing. You've got to, uh, we're in a situation where we have to reinvent the wheel in many cases and uh, come up with all kinds of creative ways of marketing ourselves and, and, and getting our work out there. It's not easy, but he's a, he's a success story. Exactly, and it's funny when you talk about somebody like Van Peebles, you know, there's some folks who say, well, you know, black folks are lucky to be in America where all this opportunity is. 
No, black folks in America become successful in spite of America. In spite of that, exactly, because the odds were totally against them. Exactly. We could have easily given up in the early stages because the dilemma we're in is if you try to be true to the black experience, uh, you will become obscured and overlooked and denounced in many cases. So um, many artists compromise. That's, you know, we talk about the black exploitation movies. A lot of those artists so starved for some kind of notoriety at work that they were willing to participate in movies that made fun of the black liberation movement, made fun of black people, characterized us in many ways. Um, but uh, people didn't fall for that. And, uh, you know, instead of doing that, he said, look, you know, I'll, um, I'll do my own stuff, even if I don't get the recognition I would get in a Hollywood-produced movie. But at least I can be true to myself. Right. So, uh, and uh, and so, uh, I mean, here's the thing about black folk in America: we've been forced to create wealth for other people. Uh, we've been forced to create comfortable lives for other people. So it's not that we're lucky to be here. America is lucky to have us to create wealth <laughs> for everyone else. Yes, and to, and to uh, culturally appropriate you know, our wealth, our um, artistic wealth, which has pretty much been the story of America. I mean, when you think about, for instance, how minstrel shows were the most popular form of entertainment in the United States from the 19th century to the 20th century. And for those in the audience, perhaps some of the young people who don't know what menstrual shows are, there were essentially white folks in black states characterizing black culture, you know, essentially making fun of us and, you know, uh, exaggerating, you know, things about us uh, for the amusement of other white people. This was their main pastime from the 19th century way into the 20th century, right? People made fortunes doing that, not exploring their own cultures, but making fun of ours. They got rich. I mean, even got so ridiculous that the only way for many black people to even break into entertainment is that they had to put on blackface and uh, caricaturize themselves you know, and, and um, you know, a kind of, kind of crazy, um, you know, uh, regurgitation of the minstrel shows. That's the only way you could make money. I remember um, Step and Fetch It. And for those who, you know, a lot of people older in the audience, you know, it was a brother who, you know, played these kind of roles in, in the early days of film. The black buffoon who was scared of ghosts and, you know, Mr. Charlie and all this. But he wound up being a millionaire. And when he was asked about it, he says, well, I could have done that or become a preacher or starve to death. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> well, Van Peebles talks about, if you see him in interviews, he talked about when he first uh, went to Hollywood, they offered him jobs as, as an elevator operator. <laughs> and so, and you know, when you think about that, okay, 
Genesis Oppression is that all of the would-be artists and artistry that was lost because of it. I mean, not only the people who tried and were pushed back, but those who were discouraged at the beginning, knowing that there was almost no shot that you'd get any kind of recognition, so why try? I might as well go down here and sign up uh, for the garbage collection. Right, and uh, of course, it's funny, when they offered him a job as an elevator operator, he was already a college man, a navigator in the Air Force, and uh, a, a filmmaker, and that's that's the best they could do for him? I mean, uh, really? So, really? Yeah, with his European track record, but it meant nothing because he was an African-American and in the 1950s, and arguably even now. Uh, that um, his artistry, no matter how good it was, didn't carry much weight. A mediocre white artist had a better chance of succeeding than a, um, a virtuoso black artist. So, um, well, I will say uh, Van Peebles kind of outlived him uh, yeah. and uh, was able to uh, see his son... Uh, uh, go on and be successful. Yeah. And I always thought that, that Mario needs to get more credit. And I mean, there's a case to be made, you know, despite all the obstacles that his father had to go through, you know, at a different period. You know, we're talking about the Jim Crow period when Melvin came on the scene. Now, he has a son who is living through a period where so much of that was broken down but who is just as talented, taught by his genius father, you know, um, actually went on to do more acting than Melvin did. You know, he directed New Jack City and, you know, collaborated with his father. And I'll bet most white people don't even, have never heard of him. And the way Melvin got more um, attention than his son, his son did. Well, uh, so much for the thing of paving the way for the next generation. You know, I, the white supremacy has been so bad here that uh, it, uh, no matter what you accomplish, there's no guarantee that your progeny will be able to even build on it. Then you can look at white artistic families like Kirk Douglas and his son Michael Douglas and you know, a bunch of others and, you know, um, the legacy that their parents leave. Um, propels them into even greater heights. Exactly. It's like every generation with black people, we got to start from the beginning. Well, that is, uh, there's statistical proof that uh, as far as handing down sort of wealth, status, and prestige, that is black folk pretty much not allowed to do it uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, this sort and of... Persistence mainly of white supremacy. Yes. You know, I mean, we have generations of black artists but you know again there's no guarantee just because your father or mother was great that uh, you were going to get a leg up because you're fighting the same racist forces that never seem to end <laughs> you know I mean they're morphing into other types of forms of oppression so like I said uh, even if you had a successful great um, parent you know you know got some notoriety there's no guarantee that that's going to translate to your success. 
white artists, they automatically got a, a, a leg up, you know, and are accepted, even if they're not as good, but just the, the association gives them a leg up. Whereas the black artist has to start all over, you know, from the beginning, as, as, as if like, you know, like with Guru Mario, the legacy of his father means nothing. Uh, you know, you could ask the average white person out here, you know the Mario or Robert Peoples? Who's that? That's some Spanish guy or something? Uh, who, who's he? Who's Melvin? <laughs> so, well, that's... Probably many black people ever heard of him, the other one. So, um... So, uh, well, that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this show today. I just wanted to uh, uh, honor just a strong brother like uh, Melvin Van Peebles, who, for whatever reason, never allowed white America to break his heart. Because that's what that's what white America tries to do to black folk is to break your heart, to break your spirit, so you won't challenge the system and won't live up to your potential. And so we'll just be subservient to... Uh, you know the system as it is, and he's, a, he's an example of how you don't have to do that. And often, maybe not enough, definitely not enough. You can succeed. You know, he didn't let him break his spirit, and he managed to attain a, 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 a great measure of success. Exactly. Society worldwide. You know, I mean, he's not a household name. But he did pretty good for himself. Well, you know, in, in the entertainment today, I mean, uh, uh, you know, the, the kind of blockbuster movies are not necessarily things that move society forward. And exactly. even some of the 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 music uh, where one can be very successful, at least for a certain period of time. It's not the kind of music that will last throughout the ages, so to speak. Yeah. And, and that's what I think we as artists have to keep in mind. And that's a difficult thing for artists because there's always the lure of celebrity and big money because a handful of people attain that. But we have to keep in mind we're living in a capitalist society, number one, yeah, which is a dog-eat-dog type of society, even in the arts. The people are, you know, fighting like mad to get these few slots that's out there and the money that's out there. And then that's compounded for the black artists because of white supremacy. So now you're competing with all white people, you know, not just other artists. Now you're competing, you know, with white, white folks and other folks. Um, so, um, you know, that makes it even more difficult. And imagine you now, you know, you're a woman, and you got to deal with those contradictions. I mean, it's just so crazy because of the nature of the society where art is not appreciated as a necessary part of life that the society should collectively support and uphold, as it is in some cultures where you have mass um, allotments, you know, federal monies to the arts. Here, it seemed like another commodity that thrown on the marketplace, and you've got to scramble and fight for a position. So, yes, folks, and we're here talking uh, about uh, the late uh, Melvin Van Peebles, who passed away Tuesday, September 21st, 2021. And I'm here, uh, our guest is Michael T., uh, uh, the artist, uh, uh, 
actor, playwright, and Michael, I do want to thank you for uh, being here with us today. It's always a, it's an honor and a privilege to hear you because you're conversing on so many subjects. So it's an honor to have you on, on our show. Yes, because Man Peoples is very dear to my heart, and uh, the struggle continues. Yes. Folks, you've been listening to uh, On the Edge with K.A. Owens, uh, uh, broadcasting on Forward Radio 106.5 FM. And, uh, folks, we will be back next week.